Father in heaven, thank you for your um, leading across the week. Thank you because we are working regarding this topic, focus on the mission of your church. And thank you, Father, because you call us to be part of that mission mm -hmm. and help us to find out what is our place and we can do regarding this challenge in the last days of the earth. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, let me... Let me share with you something that I already did, but I'm going to, to put probably in another dress um, here as part of my reflection of this last day of the presentation. When you go to the book of Matthew 28, verses um, 19 and 20, the Bible says, Go ye the four, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. This is my version here. Amen. And, uh, and here is a promise. I am with you always. So we don't need to fear. The Lord is going to be with us. And here is the promise. You know, um, when I was in South America, I, I, uh, I had a very good professor coming from Andrews University that was European background, and the, and the wife was yesterday in one of the seminars in the, in the afternoon, Dr. Gerard Hassel. I don't know how many of you knew him. Well, let me tell you that um, I guess that church in these times, our church here in USA, maybe could be different if we were in the church more teachers like Gerard Hassel, because he was a blessing. And I do remember one sermon that um, we in family has been listening, not probably once, but several times, several times. Because he preached this sermon and he was translated into Spanish by Umberto Treyer in those days. So we, we have a kind of a stereophonic version in which you are going to listen in, in English and in Spanish almost simultaneously with a very good translation into Spanish. And, and this is the motto of the family Hassel. This is the motto of them. And lo, I am with you always. Even in the middle of the war in which they were um, suffering, you know, A, here is the promise of the Lord. I am with you always. So besides anything else that we are going to teach today in the morning, good morning, Dina, um, please remember this is the promise of the Lord for you. I am with you always, even to the end 
of the world. And that is the promise. In difficult times, we need to reflect for ourselves in the challenge of the um, situations in which might be able to be that the Lord is with us and claim the promise because he promised that, that we, when we are fulfilling the mission, the Lord is with us. So um, today we are going to rephrase some things. I don't know how many of you are for the, for the first time, but um, our um, attendance has been decreasing at the beginning this was full packed and there was no place today there are some empty spots but not many but that is good um, um, anachronisms are things that probably we need to analyze when we were dealing with certain kind of documents regarding what is inspiration and what is true and what is false anachronism and this is the def definition in English from the Greek, Anna, against, again, uh, excuse me, here, here is wrong. It's again, Anna is again, and chronos, time, is chronological inconsistency in some arrangement, especially a juxtaposition of persons, events, objects, customs from different periods of time. And I put this in just in Spanish. That is the Royal Academy of Spanish Language, um, Real Academia Española, that is the meaning right. Uh, that means um, uh, to put um, something that is out of place in the time, like Pharaoh sent to shoot down the shoes. And you began to, to, to think uh, how in the world uh, shoot can be performed in, in Egypt in the time of Moses. And finally, you begin to say, well, there were no uh, guns. There were no this. There were no, there were no power there. So um, that was not invented yet. So um, that is what? An anachronism. So sometimes when we are dealing with these documents, you are going to find these kind of things. For example, Joseph was sold for a few dirhams. That is a drachma. And you say, and you read it, and, and sometimes when you are reading that kind of stuff, you say, well, that's strange. Of, of course. What is the problem? This money did not exist before um, 1,100 years before Christ. Of course, when Mohammed was writing this stuff, it was 600 after Christ, you know? But if you are not aware about that, you are going to say, if like I will say, Joseph was sold for a few amount of dollars. And you are going to say, well, <laughs> something is wrong here. Something is not matching, you know? Are you converting are you doing, you know, um, uh, exchange rate in the translation here? Well, this is anachronism. You understand what I'm saying? So the other example is the crucifixion in Egypt in the time of Moses. And this is from the Shura, chapter 12, verse 41. And there is a problem here because the crucifixion was known from the Persian times, but not 
from, from the Egypt uh, times. That, that is a very big amount of time in which you are going to jump over, and that is an anachronism. Another is that Shura 20, 35 through 88 influenced the sons of Israel to make a golden calf in the times of Moses. Um, the problem is that, quote, Samaritans, but Samaritans, in the context of the reading, they were not Samaritans before Samaria, and that was after the Exodus and after the time of Moses. Uh, there was a golden calf, yes, in the time of Moses, but was not performed by Samaritans. And, uh, and there are several other um, anachronisms, like, for example, and this is in dispute, um, what I will say, the, the Quran um, in the Shura 18 refers to Duhul Karnaim, that was a great conqueror. And in general, uh, Muslims understand that this is a reference for Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, who worshipped Allah and was a Muslim uh, and an, an old person. Well, there are several problems here. Um, um, first, before Muhammad, there were no Muslims. That's that's critical here, and um, and 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 the and and Alexander, um, he was not a prophet, so there there is a lot of you know a lot of things to accept uh, that were not uh, right here, and he was not uh, an old person when he died, by the way. So um, this is uh, something very clear in in history. There are um, fiction or fictitious literature, I will say, in the, in the Quran. And there is the, the story of a she camel in Shura um, 7, verses 73 and 79. The Quran tells that uh, the she camel sent by Allah to a town named Tamud in Al Hirj after the population demanded a miracle from a prophet named Salil. Um, well, uh, you know, uh, and, and by the way, the, pro, the, the, the she camel, um, um, uh, you know, performs some kind of miracle and so on and, and speaks and so on. That, uh, it's very difficult to accept that kind of, of thing. Um, the whole town, and this is another thing that I mentioned before, regarding the uh, Quran, quoting and making reference to the Shabbat as a day of rest. And that, that is, uh, that is uh, quite curious and interesting. And the Shura um, 2, verses 65-66 say, And you had already known about those trans who transgressed among you concerning the Sabbath. Look. There is a concept of transgression regarding Sabbath. So the concept of rest of in Sabbath, that was, in, of course, in the Middle East in the times of Muhammad. And we remember in, in Shura 2 when, when we 
were speaking about ultimatum, you know, um, we say to them, be ape despised. And they were transformed in apes, according to the results. And um, so it is curious for me, because the point is that they knew about the sanctity and the concept of the Sabbath. Another thing that you are going to find reading this, I don't know if you remember that kind of uh, literature uh, for kids about the genies or the genies. Are you familiar? Genes? Are you familiar with that? Okay. Well, the Quran quotes and refers to the genes. And it's, it, it is in the Quran here. And pre-Islamic literature tells about the genes or genies and tells that when Mohammed was coming from Mecca, from Taif, and after preaching in the city without obtaining any conversion, uh, he went and preached to the genes. And, um, and he's quite interested. You know, um, boss, how can I help you? I, I put that title, you know, when when you put and to the lamp and I, and before expressing a wishing, you 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 know you pull 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 uh, the the top on the topic and and finally is boss, how can I help you? And there is archaeological evidence um, found in northwestern Arabia seems to indicate the worship of genes, or at least their tributary status, hundreds of years before Islam. So they were getting pagan influence. Because what is, what is a gene? Spirit. Yes, but that is telling you something. Here, Islamic is very close to what? A spiritualism, certainly. Spiritism is here present in these kind of cases. So here we have something that is telling you that you understand code names because you read prophecies that Islam it's not only a false religion, but also is connected with spiritism in the last days of the earth. And, and here is one other evidence. Uh, one thing that I, I, I am missing, and probably I am, I am in need to search more, is regarding the sources of the Quran. Because... When, uh, when the other day we were talking about how dependent are we from the context in which we were living, you know, the context, in certain sense, the social content in which we were uh, educated and formed are building up ourselves. Why, why you speak English and I cannot do it so well, you know? Well, the, your context was not my context in the moment in which I was reared. And that is, the, our influence made us in certain sense. How I might be able to understand 
Portuguese, and Portuguese entered into my ears uh, just in a, a natural form, also Italian. Why? Well, my family, <laughs> and also because in my country, in the days in which I was reared, in the radios, when you were trying to change from a radio station into the next, I have to cross for maybe 20 Portuguese-speaking radios. So finally, Portuguese is almost Spanish for me. And, uh, and sometimes the culture in which you were you know, prepared and reared is going to inform you. So the same thing that happened with us happened with Prophet Muhammad. So he was reared with this. Sheens is part of the culture. So he absorbed those elements without asking, is this from God? Is this from Revelation? Because if satanic verses are telling to the Arabic culture that they need to avoid, they forgot to delete the genes. You understand what I'm saying? So satanic influence is also specifically clear in the influence with that. So um, the Quran is a document 600 years after you know, the, the, the Old Testament and 500 years from maybe 1,000 years after um, the Old Testament. I need to correct that. And 500 years after the New Testament times or more. And, um, and 300 years after the key councils of the early church. And, and about this, what we can reflect about that? Because when you go to the Quran, you are going to find a story that is astonishing in resemblance with some of the things in the pseudo-epigrapha. What is that? At some point, um, there is a story in the Quran that says that, um, that, um, that Jesus formed and drew a birth. You know, he drew a birth and breath, and the birth come alive. And you say, oh, this is in the Quran. But you say, hmm, where is this from? Well, the Quran is from Revelation. But how they are going to explain that that is in the pseudo-epigrapha for about 300 years or 400 years before Muhammad? You understand what I'm saying? So he is collecting information coming from the common culture in the Middle East that were telling about that story because you are going to find out in, in the uh, Quran. Um, um, this is, oh, here it is. It's Quran um, Surah 510. When Allah will say, oh Jesus, son of Mary, remember my favor of thee and to thy mother when I strengthened thee with the Holy Spirit, Thou epochest to people in the travel and in all age. And when I taught thee the book 
and the wisdom and the Torah and the gospel. And when thou didst determine out of clay a thing like a form of a bird, by my permission, then thou didst breath into it, and it became a birth by my permission. Well, you know, the Muslims are going to say to you, well, please remember, this was made by, with the permission of Allah. I don't care. Because that is in the pseudepigrapha. How you are going to explain that that is before the time of Muhammad. It's like... It's like, um, let me finish one moment, uh, Yvonne. Uh, it's like when you find um, in the, the metaphor of the traveler that is going to the country where nobody came back. Remember the metaphor of that in, the, in Shakespeare? But it's in the Book of Mormon by inspiration. So when you read that, you say, well, here in the Book of Mormon is a very bright metaphor coming from Shakespeare. Who is first? You, you follow what I'm saying? Shakespeare is writing in about uh, the 15s, and here is in the 18s. There are approximately between maybe 300, 400 years of difference, and it's probably the same amount of time that is here in the relationship. Yvonne. So do they think of Allah as like we do God the Father? Oh, yes. Of course, yes. And they think of him just as a good Allah, thing. Allah, 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 and, and I mention Yvonne. They, they do mention Jesus. They mention and they quote yes. Jesus uh -huh. and Mary. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, they accept that, but, but they don't use the, the name of Jehovah, they don't use the name of God, and they don't use the names in the Bible or Father, but basically it's Allah. And I, by the way, don't have any trouble with that. My trouble is this, my, my, my problem is this. Allah is the name of a divinity in the Middle East before Muhammad. And that was the God creator, according to the tradition of those lands. And was in Kaaba before Muhammad time. So basically, they are inheriting elements coming from paganism. And why I am, you, you know, so emphatic in this? Because they are rejecting paganism and they are rejecting or saying that they are rejecting polytheism but they are taking elements from that background. But it also the uh, translation of God is a different, it isn't the God as we accept it. That's a big thing. Allah Akbar doesn't mean yeah. precious Lord or... Oh, of course. And, and here is the, the, the background point of some of the things that I'm comparing here. In the Gospel of the Infancy of Jesus, uh, the, the, this, um, this pseudo-epigrapha says, then the Lord Jesus says to the boys, I will command these figures which I have made to walk. 
and immediately they moved and when he commanded them to return, they returned. And he had also made the figures of birds and sparrows, which when he commanded to fly, did fly. And when he commanded to stand still, uh, did stand still. You see the resemblance of, of that? And, and this is pseudopigrapha. And it's connected with the Quran. And, and you are not going to find only in, in that, also in the so-called uh, Gospel of Thomas, that is 104 um, after Christ, I, Thomas, and Israel, I judge it necessary to make known to our brethren among the Gentiles the actions and miracles of Christ in the childhood, which our Lord and God Jesus Christ brought after his birth in Bethlehem, in our country, at which I myself was astonished, at the beginning of which was as follow. When the child Jesus was five years old of age, and there had been a shower of rain that was now over, Jesus was playing with other Hebrew boys by a running stream, and the waters ran over the banks, and stood in the little lakes, but the waters instantly became clear and useful again, and they readily obeyed him after he touched them only by his word. Then he took from the bank of the stream some soft clay and formed out of it twelve sparrows, and there were other boys playing with him. But a certain shoe seeing the things which he has been doing, namely his forming clay into the figures of sparrows, on the Sabbath day uh, went presently away and told his father Joseph, Behold, your boy is playing by the riverside, and he was taking clay and formed it into twelve sparrows and profanes the Sabbath. Then Joseph came to the place where he was, and when he saw him, called him and said, Why do you that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day? Um, why, why do you do what, it, what is not lawful to do in Sabbath day? Then Jesus, clapping together the palms of his hand, called the sparrows and said to them, Go, fly away, and while you live, remember me, so the sparrows fled away, making a noise. Then shoes, seeing this, were astonished and went away and told their chief person what a strange miracle they had seen brought by Jesus. Please understand something. I believe this is not inspired. Please, it's not, this is not in the Bible, no. But it's in the Quran. That, that's the point. So, this is in the culture. This is in the society. And through the society in the times of Muhammad, this was known. And this is another source from the other that I've been mentioning. So, you are going to find two sources through uh, this topic. Yes. Is the Gospel of Thomas in the Apocrypha? It's in the, yes, Pseudepigrapha. And 
Well, what I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not telling that the Quran is quoting this. The Quran, the Quran is taking for me the idea that is no in the in the context, and and it's applying the Quran. Okay, I'm not, I'm not. There is no uh, footnotes in the Quran uh, through the pseudo epigrapha, and I'm not calling them apocrypha. Let me let me tell you what is what is the difference here. Um, pseudo epigrapha refers to this. When you have a book in the in the in the early days in the time of the Lord Jesus, okay, epigrapha epi is this is the place of the title, and this is the graphe. So epigrapha, they they oh sorry, I'm not talking in Spanish. <laughs> um, pseudo epigrapha means false title or false head um, writing. That is textually the translation of pseudo-epigrapha. They use, this is a kind of literature for, that was not in the, in the scriptures. It's not accepted neither in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. Uh, the Hebrew rejected that. So they invented a kind of fictitious literature, for example, to call this the Gospel of Elijah. Because Elijah was accepted by the population. And if Elijah is speaking, then Elijah is important. You understand what I'm saying? So when... Um, um, when appears the book, The Da Vinci Code, you remember in those days? Um, when you go to an airport, there was a lot of people traveling with the Da Vinci Code. And there were a lot of books that were changing a little bit the codes for the name Da Vinci Code, studies, miracles, this, this, with Da Vinci Code. But none of them were from Dan Brown. You following what I'm saying? They were picking up the idea, they were picking up the concept of the title, and they were refreshing the, re, refreshing the title to resemble, to, to do a resemblance of the idea of Dan Brown. So this was that kind of literature. So, if Abraham was important, well, there would be a letter from Abraham to the church. You, you understand what I'm saying here? Um, you have a question? Do we know who the author is of, of the Gospel of Thomas and some of these other ones? Well, um, well the, thank you for the question. It's a good question. Uh, the point is that um, this is part of the pseudo-epigrapha. So normally the author is anonymous. And he's taking the name of someone that is accepted by the early church or by the culture of the Jewish and, and, and he's writing behind. There were no copyrights in those days. Yeah. So the people was not interested in, in saying, hey, 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 please, please, I, I wrote this, you know. 
that today you are going to defend copyright. In those days, there were no copyrights. So finally, as the people accepted Abraham, you are going to find a gospel of Abraham or some kind of writing of, for example, the testament of the 12 prophets. If one prophet was good, the 12 was much good. And there is one testament of the 12 prophets. You understand what I'm saying? So this, this is, this is pseudo-epigrapha. Is it the same 12 prophets of Jesus? The same apostles of Jesus, the 12? Oh, no. No, 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 no. This is not, this is not uh, involving uh, hagiographer or, or sacred writers. Uh, please don't, conf we, need, we need to avoid the confusion that these people were inspired by God. I believe in inspiration of the writers, but we need to distinguish inspiration of a writer with inspiration of the Bible. Because inspiration of the Bible writers is coming from the Lord. And this is, this is a reason and the rationale in Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah to say, here the Lord says, or this says the Lord. And when you are in front with that, you are telling something. The author is declining automatically his authorship. And he is in submission to the revelation coming from the Lord. And this is the meaning of scriptures. This, this is not. And there are elements. I, I probably I need a seminar regarding Apocrypha to explain and, and to read Judith and Maccabeans and Ecclesiasticus and all the other Judith and, and several other sources, sources um, in which um, um, you need to connect with in order to understand what it is um, being a book that is inspired by the Lord and what is not a book inspired by the Lord. That, that is very important. Yes. This is in the Catholic Bible. This is in yes. the Catholic Bible. No. No, this is pseudepigrapha. No, um, no, that, that's another good question. Um, this is pseudoepigrapha. The pseudoepigrapha is this, and, and even Catholicism didn't accept. Um, what they included, what they, Catholicism included, is what you mentioned that is apocrypha. Normally, I avoid to use apocrypha with the Catholics, because apocrypha means contaminated, spurious. And, and sometimes for certain people, it's a little bit offensive to use that. They use another word for that. And, and they explain that. And uh, the, the word that they use is deuterocanonical. Deuterocanonical. Deutero means other of the canon. Um, well, that is another good question. And I am entered into a, 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 another topic here. Let, let me explain. Let me explain. I can, I can say it. 
they believe they are, and they call in definitions by them, a second inspiration. You know, it's um, sometimes when you are affiliated with American Islands, they are going to give you gold or platinum or just the common, okay? It's like you are going to be in business or first class. That, that is a kind. Um, we, don't, we don't believe that, by the way. We, we don't understand that there is higher inspiration in Isaiah or a lower inspiration in, in, you know, in the minor prophet or something like that. There is not such a difference. But they do. They perform that kind of uh, differences. So let me go ahead and, uh, and yes, um, I, I made this the other day. I, you already took pictures, so you, you have about that. But let me enter into a couple of things. Um, this, this is going to be the last presentation regarding the topic. And we need to take in account and put Mohammed in perspective here. Warnings, warnings from the Bible. The Bible contains serious warnings regarding false Christs and false prophets. And you are going to find that in Matthew chapter 7 and also in Matthew 24, 24. Just a brief comment regarding Matthew 24. When you open the chapter of Matthew 24, this is a panorama about the signs of the times. And one of the things that um, um, hold your attention as a reader is that in this chapter, three times Jesus announced that there are going to come false prophets and false Christs. False prophets and false Christs. False prophets means prophets, there is no problem to understand that. Christ sometimes is the problem here. And you need to understand that when Jesus in, um, in Greek that is translated from the Aramaic version in which he was speaking, the topic about that is Messiah in Hebrew and Christos is a translation into Greek. You follow what I'm saying? So remember, remember something. The name Jesus Christ is not the name of Jesus. It's the fusion that the early church made regarding the acceptance by the total church that Jesus was the Christ. Because finally, they put a kind of code name to distinguish Jesus from any other confusion. Because in every moment in which they were telling Jesus is the Christ, finally they fusioned together the name and they began to say Jesus Christ. And that is, that is the meaning of the fusion of the name. That means Jesus is the Messiah. That is, that is in, in every time that you say that, that is the meaning. But, 
A what? It was not an uncommon. But Jesus Christ, yes. Because that made the difference. Yes, yes. That's, that's the point here. Thank you. And, uh, and here it's important because that is, that is critical. The second, the second, this is, go, go to Galatians. Because you need to read in your, in your smartphone, in your Bible, whatever, uh, regarding this. Go, go to your Bible. This is a good exercise for this. Because every time I've been dealing with uh, Mormons, for example, uh, this is a wonderful text. Because the Bible says, But thou we, or an angel from heaven. And that is the, king, the case with the Muslim and also with the Mormons. Uh, we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. It's wonderful, this text. Because he's telling you there is no other gospel. My Bible, and prophets are uh, in the chapter 7, the whole passage. Yes, it's chapter 7 of Matthew is, is clear. But I am in Galatians now. 1, 8, and it's very critical regarding this topic because when you compare um, that, um, that here we have a diversion from the roots of the message, you are going to understand that that is coming from a false teacher and a false uh, prophet. And here is... They repeated it the next verse. Yes. Yes, thank you for that. Yes, in the next verse. And this is an important quotation coming from Ellen G. White. And let me tell you that um, Ellen G. White, the sigh of the ages, has a very good translation into Spanish. And that version is very, very good. And this, this is a powerful. Every religion that wars against the sovereignty of God, the frauds, man of the glory, which was his at the creation, and which is to be restored to him in Christ. Every false religion teaches its adherents to be careless of human needs, sufferings, and rights. Every false Religion. How, how wonderful quotation is when we are watching people stabbing people in the name of Allah, shouting Allah Akbar, and here says every false religion teaches its adherents to be careless of human needs, sufferings, and rights. How right is to see the picture of the quotation of Ellen G. White in the background of those who are bombing themselves in the middle of a station in Europe or in whatever place because it's depriving the human rights and, and making suffering others. And this is what it says. Every false religion teaches its adherents to be careless of the human needs, sufferings, and rights. Powerful. Powerful. Yes. 
Along those same lines, when you look at our political system and the uh, you know the birth of our country, how that God established those you know the the the, uh, the Bill of Rights and yeah, those, all of those teachings were created or or rather inspired by God, and those individuals. I'll call them not to get political, but those people that are stepping on those rights right now are basically aligning themselves. Of course. This very yes, of course. Every people in this country is going to align with this. No question about that. Because that kind of tendency that you see in ISIS is depriving everybody about these rights. And, and here is a topic critical regarding that. Because he's denouncing as a false teaching, as a false religion. No questions. No, no questions. And on our human freedoms, this, you, you step on our rights. Oh, yes. And we need to defend that right. We need to defend that right. Because it's our privilege not only remember something. In this is critical to defend freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and human rights, of course, regarding that. But Ellen G. White make a twist here, and he's making this. Every false religion is doing that. It's strong, really. Yvonne, I need to go forward. I'm sorry for that. Um, every true prophet, every true prophet um, uh, is going to do some things. God will talk to him in dreams and visions. Um, and please, keep, keep the first, because we are going to finish the reflection of today in about 20, 25 minutes. And, I, and you are going to be surprised, probably, if you don't know about it. He speaks what God told him, him or her, and will invite people to obey his word. Every prophet, true prophet, is going to be in harmony with the word of God. Of course. And invite people to came back to God. It's not submission of political power that is imposing against the rights of the people, but submission to the Lord in His word. That is very different what you are going to see in the other uh, movement. Exalt the lay and divine um, um, testimony and, um, and is... Very important is in the book of Isaiah 8.20. There is a major crisis in Islam, and this is true and liberty. In the times in which of the communism, I don't know if you remember, there were two um, newspapers. One was um, Isbestia, uh, and, and the other was Pravda, Isbestia and Pravda. One was the news, and the other was Pravda means the truth. And some people say uh, that there were no news in Isbestia, and neither truth in Pravda in those days, you know? And truth and liberty are problems in the Muslims. Because if not, why they were going to hide in the revelation, in the Hadiths, and in the Quran about the satanic verses? and they are going to twist them and, you know, accommodate them. So, 
um, we, need to, we need to enter now into the critical topic of today. And, and we have good news. Because we need to perform the, the mission of the church. And, and Muslims need to know the gospel. Don't you believe that? Yeah. They, they need to know the gospel. And let me share with you, they are religious, they pray, and, and, and you are going, we, we are going to share with you some interesting facts at, at the end of the presentation of, of today. But, um, but sometimes in this book, and you are going to find out in the internet, it's not cheap, but probably if you can get this, this one, um, this is from 2000, and, and from that, part of the information that I'm going to share with you is, is in that book, and you can get that online for about maybe five, six dollars. Uh, it's about from 1996, from 1997, Perspectives in Mission, and um, it's discussing and exploring missionary uh, techniques to work with Islam. No question that performing this with Islam is going to put in danger or the speaker or, or the missionary. So what we can do is the question and how we are going to work. Let me work out some ideas here and let me um, add to the already done work, a couple of ideas, and we're going to finish with some of the things that we know is going on in this moment. Um, this is an article in this book of Phil Farsal. He's a professor of theology in mission, and, and he discussed these topics, contextualizing and sorry, put that and avoid Spanish syncretism uh, in outreaching Islamism. So he divide contextualization low to through high and syncretism low through high. What is what is this? What what does it mean? Well, he divided C1. It's a traditional church using outsider language. That means a church in Iran or in Iraq, you know, is going to meet like we meet here. That is C1. And we are going to speak in Arabic or Farsi or whatever, or Chaldean, uh, or whatever be the language in which they are in the population over there. Okay? And they are going to... Um, not to make too many changes, okay? That is C1. C2 is a traditional chart using insider language. And, um, and they still call themselves Christians to avoid many differences, uh, but still is another way in which they are going to be in the context taking element of the context without syncretizing or merging to deep with them, okay? In C3, this is another level. 
So the contextualized Christ-centered communities using insider language and religiously neutral insider form can meet in charge or a neutral place and call still themselves Christians. Okay? So this is the first three levels. Um, in C4, now they are going to enter into much deeper vision. They contextualize Christ-centered communities using insider language and biblically permissible cultural and Islamic forms. What does it mean? Those things that are, you know, more acceptable by the Muslims, they are going to try to be adaptive, mm -hmm. you know, and, and religious vocabulary. Because, hey, we do have a, a, a very big vocabulary in the church. Think about revelation, uh, justification by faith, and sanctification, um, judgment, um, you know, um, all the elements that we are going to do in prophetical visions and so on. And they are trying to be more adaptive. In C5, still is Christ-centered communities of Messianic Muslims who accepted Jesus as a Lord and Savior. And now there is not a church, there is a mosque. They are meeting in a mosque. In a mosque. Mosque is the name of the, the places in which... Um, yes. Well, that's, 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 that's syncretic. That, that, that's syncretic. So I will say that I am not going into that direction. That, that's the reason why I am, I am envisioning this with you. And in C6, it's bigger. Small Christ-centered communities or secret underground believers going into the mosque, many come to Christ, through dreams, visions, and miracles, radio broadcast tracks, and they continue going as secret Christians in the context of the Muslims. So the person that you are going to see entering to pray is another Muslim, but is a Christian who is expecting the moment to give testimony because if not, that person might be killed. You understand? So, uh, what are what are what are the what are the things that um, what we can do? I already mentioned this to you because this is a case in in Colombia, and um, and and when when you see. This is the safe place, and this is the dangerous place. So at some point, what we need to do, and that is my perspective, is we need to find a moment in a neutral place in which we might be able to give testimony to them. Testimony to them. One-on-one, person-to-person, vis-a-vis, yes. 
And then when that person converts and accepts, and there are many, believe me, there are many. I cannot release that uh, this week I received a couple of messages of one of them because he is one leader that is with us and is a former Muslim. But please don't, don't release information regarding that. Is what? Is he, an imam? He, he was not an imam. But, uh, but he was a follower and he was in a leading position at some point in his country. But we, we don't need to reveal this. Why? Because if the Muslim community, Muslim community, it, it is searching that information. And in the moment in which they discover, they are going to pressure upon the wife and say, look, your husband has converted into a Christian. You might be in danger, or your sons, or your family. So we need, we need to avoid to release information because it's a way of protecting the person and the family. So what, what, we, what we are doing, and, I, and that, that is my suggestion because in Turkey it's working, in several other places it's is, uh, is working, and, and when that person is coming back, is coming back the same person. He speaks the language, he understands or she understands the, the culture, and she's going to look for ways in which they are going to give testimony to others. And they are going to convert them to the Lord in that place. And let me tell you something, at this point, there are a lot of people inside Muslim country worshiping the Lord and keeping the Sabbath. And, and we need to not to release name, places, and so on, because if not, that person or that group of persons, um, you know, we, we, we are going to put in risk. Remember something in mission, a strategy. And this is coming from the book of Acts. Um, probably you remember the case, yeah? It's the book of Acts, it's the Apostle Paul, and he's in judge. He's in courthouse. And, uh, and but Paul, this says the text, perceived that the one part were Sadducees, he was not a Sadducee, and the other Pharisees, he was a Pharisee? He was with a background of a Pharisee. But let me tell you that many of the elements of the Pharisees were in common with the Christians. Because the Pharisees didn't believe in resurrection. The Pharisees, excuse me, the Sadducees didn't believe um, in the whole scripture, for example. The Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the Sadducees. The Pharisees believe in, in the whole scriptures. Uh, the, the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. The Pharisees believe in the resurrection. And there were a, a lot of common things that the, the Apostle Paul knew, and he began to be adaptive. Because he says, 
men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and of the resurrection of the dead. And I, I am calling in question for this. And you are going to say, Paul, are you telling the truth and nothing but the truth? He's going to be in trouble here. But it's in the Bible. So he, he believed in that? Oh, yes. And they believed too. But what was he trying to do? Be accepted by both. Well, let me, let me tell you. He was very practical here. He was trying to get freedom to perform the gospel message telling something that he detected in the auditorium, and he detected right. He detected at this moment. You see what was the consequence. Automatically, it was part away, and immediately those who were from the Pharisees defend him immediately. And, and that is something critical here. Let me finish my presentation before giving you some of the things. Remembering something that we can do. And I guess that every one of us need to do something in this endeavor of the mission of the church. Open the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, say God, I will power out of my spirit unto all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams. It, it is quite interesting this. Let me share something that, I, that is astonishing and you can get it in the, in the internet. And it's called, After Dreams of Jesus, Iman Renounces Islam. Let me, let me share with you this, because it's a powerful testimony. The name of this Iman, Iman, Iman in the Muslims, um, it means a kind of teacher, local teacher. Can be equivalent of, for us, of a local pastor and so on, Tafik trained to become an imam for 24 years, 24 years, at an Islamic madrasa school. Madrasa is not Spanish, uh, looks like in Spanish like a, a big mama, a big mom, you know, a madrasa a school in, in Africa. No, is, is, isn't it? Not madrasa? That is the name of the, the schools of the Muslims. Uh, and, uh, and I only, he says, I only learn the Islam. And part, look, look this, it's quite interesting. Part of our teaching were about destroying Christianity. He says that, destroying Christianity. So we did that we learn by attacking Christians once we finish our training. So that, that's the problem I do have here with the system of education. Because this Allah Akbar attack here in Flint 
is coming from some of these schools that are going to be functioning under the religious liberty that we are providing. And I am, I am concerned about what is the curriculum here. Because if the curriculum is coming from Saudi Arabia, I would like to say to the education department that put an eye upon that curriculum to avoid that kind of teaching or simple, close that teaching mechanism at all in the country. Of course. Oh, yes. 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 I know that. But please listen to this because it's quite interesting what is going on. Because let me tell you something. Sometimes we are frustrated with our government. But we need to, we need to think that we are Christians. And we are going to be Christians with this government or without it. Because we are followers of the Lord Jesus. And let me tell you something. God is in control. And he knows what is going on. And he is acting. And this is one of the cases. And, and he says that was the, the teaching. And he said that um, he was taught that Christians are bad people. And he and the other students were also encouraged to steal and to kill non-Muslims in the school, in the madrasa. Our teachers will tell us every time there was a new church in town and we were told to go and attack the people and destroy the church. So think about how, how we are going to perform the mission. You understand? Here, here is a safe place. Here is danger. You understand? When was that written? Uh, when was that written, what you're reading? Um, one year ago. And, um, and Tofik said, and we beat them and attacked the church and burned the Bibles. He led the construction of 16 mosques in his area. And he also imposed a rule no village leader or visitors could preach Christianity in the church. No religious liberty at all. Okay? So one night, listen this, in the midst of his seal for Islam, his journey to Christ unexpectedly began. There was an incident in 2002 where I had a vision from the Lord early in the morning, around 3 a.m. AM in the morning, he said. And the vision... I saw Jesus very clearly telling me to follow him. My wife asked me what happened in my dream because I woke up very startled. And when I explained it to her, she was scared and said, we are going to be infidels. So we need to pray. She was reacting as an Islamic, you know? To accept Christ for them is being an infidel. And he told her with Quranic verses, Jesus told him to read in his dream 
and that each verse specifically instruct the reader to follow and to believe in Jesus. Tafik immediately had another vision of Jesus. And Jesus appeared saying, it's me, follow me. When you follow me, you will pay a price. There will be persecution in your life, but in the end, you'll be victorious. I am with you. Remember? Remember from the beginning, I am with you? And this is the promise that we need to share. And lo, I am with you always. Well, in essence, he abandoned Islam, he abandoned his position, and he became a leader in a Christian church, and, uh, and this is what is going on. Let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me say this. Let me, let me say this. This is not once. Mm -hmm. This is not only one incident that is going on. So heavenly is answering our prayers. And, and we need to open our mouth and pray for the Lord because this is going on in several places of the Islam. And when you go into the internet and you are going to look for dreams and visions, you are going to find a, a very big amount of episodes across Africa and, 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 and in, the, in the East, where the Muslim's religion is um, you know, expanded. And the Lord is acting. So we need to pray for this. Because there is another ministry, two ministries, our prayers, one ministry. Second, we need to foster second generation that comes to neutral places for study, to make places of study and special targeting people. Why, why is possible that in jail, some of us boxers are becoming Muslims and we cannot do the same? Let me tell you, when I started ministry, my first work was in jail. So at some point, I say to the people, I used to be in jail. And some people say, oh. <laughs> no, no, I entered and, and went out, <laughs> you know. But um, let me tell you that we had a class of, of about 50 every single Saturday. And we had in what, maybe six months of teaching um, in South Argentina city called Mendoza, about seven people that were baptized and today are leaders in the church. So we can, we can explore new ways for outreaching people and the Lord is going to answer because he is leading this. Who is able to bring those visions? and dreams. We can do it. The Lord can. And the Lord is going to lead us in that kind of ministry. So remember something today. Lord, I am with you always. And this is part of the testimony that we need to share with those who are going to be missionaries. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. 
If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.